Hello, Shane Coleman here and welcome to the Top 5 Books podcast where we ask well-known Irish people to come up with their top five books of all time. I'm delighted to say we're joined by someone who is a writer herself, uh, indeed uh, an author of many bestsellers, including her new novel, The Way We Were, which was published by Penguin. You may also know her writing from her column in the Irish Independent. Uh, Sinead Moriarty, thanks indeed for coming into us. Thanks very much. Lovely to be here. Good to have you. You literally, I suppose, I mean, you grew up with books all around you. I mean, your mother was a, was an author. I mean, that must, have been right. a, that must have been a big influence on you. It was a huge influence, yeah. My mum, having taken myself and my siblings to the Waxworks Museum and realised we didn't know who anybody was, was shocked and appalled and so set about writing books on Irish historical figures for children. Well, so, I thought that was um, just a modern phenomenon. But, uh, no, yes, no, no. Uh, so she was amazing, really. So she wrote about Gronya Whale and Yeats and Joyce and Jonathan Swift. So I did grow up literally surrounded by books and manuscripts and everyone in our family, you know, was a reader. There was no option not to be a reader and I think that's kind of a wonderful way to grow up. I mean, our house was literally falling down with books and my sister, who's older than me by three years, was a voracious reader and I kind of idolised her. So that kind of made me pull up my socks and read a lot, yeah, so it was brilliant. And did you start writing at a young age as well or did that come later? Well, no, I used to love writing essays. It was always my favourite thing to do in school. But apart from that, no, I, did, I wasn't writing creatively or anything. That came later, actually. I think really I didn't really have the confidence in myself to write creatively until actually my 30th birthday. I kind of went, OK, you know, this is... I've turned 30 now. I'm going to write this book. So I've now or never been harbouring. Yeah, it's now or never, yeah. And did yeah. you have it? Was it, so did you think, I mean, you know, that's a dreadful cliche about everybody yeah. has, a, has a book in them. The problem is not everybody uh, has a good book in them. But uh, Well, I, my first two books were very bad books and got turned down by everybody. So it was really my third book, The Baby Trail, that actually got, got me published. And I think, again, it was the theme, which was, you know, people always say, right, what you know, I was struggling with infertility myself and I decided to write a book that was kind of, you know, bittersweet and funny about infertility. And that really was the book that kind of started this whole lovely life that I now live. Okay. All right. Um, now, let's get to your top five. I suppose your your fifth choice, and I don't mean this in any kind of negative way, it may not surprise people that you as a female author yeah. has chosen this book. And it is The Brilliant Little Women by yeah. uh, Louisa May Alcott. It's a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. Well, it's. I think it was the first book I read that I, I completely... I'm not sure if I've identified as the right word, but wanted desperately to be Jo March. I mean, she, she was the person I wanted to be, you know, and I loved the fact that she used to go to the attic and write her book. And I just thought she was just the most wonderful character and that's who I wanted to be. And I remember thinking, right, that's, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be Jo March. And, you know, it's also, it's a beautiful story. It's a classic and there's a reason for that. I do, however, still think she should have ended up with Laurie and not her selfish sister. But um, anyway, that's another, another day's work. But yeah, I just, I love that book. I just think it's a really precious book. I'm actually really looking forward to my daughter getting to the age where she can read it because I just think it's kind of just the most gorgeous book really. Well, it has in- everything. Interesting you say that because I think it's a criticism you do here, maybe less so now, but certainly a few years back, that there isn't good books for, for mm. girls. Mm. Um, there's still, there's a lot of the princess type stuff. There's mm. loads of that. But not books that where women carve out an identity for themselves. I mean, this book, okay, it was written, what, was it 150 years ago or yeah, something? Or yeah. 140 years ago. So it's very much of its time. But it is, I mean, it's, it's kind of a feminist book, you could say, isn't well, it? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think Jo Marsh is, is, is absolutely one of the original feminists. She is completely. But, you know, it's interesting, actually. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of reading, uh, read all the Enid Blytons to my children. I'm reading Noel Stratfield now, Ballet Shoes and all that. And it's interesting, they're very strong women in these books, you know, and very strong female characters. And they're wonderful and they don't date. And that's, I think, the beauty of a really good book. It doesn't date. Mm. And so there are, you know, there are lovely, lovely books out there. But we also have amazing writers, you know, like 
Judy Curtin and Sarah Webb are writing fantastic books for girls at the moment. So there's certainly there's no there's no shortage of, okay. of material. You mentioned about your daughter, how you can't wait for your daughter to read this book. I mean, what yeah. age does a young woman or a girl? What what age would you recommend that book? Although it's, I, we should stress it's not just for girls. This book it yeah, is no, it's a fine novel in its own right um, for anybody. I guess how long is a piece of string? It depends on the, depends on the child, really, I suppose, and the maturity of the child and if they are kind of ready for it or not. I can't remember when I read it. I guess maybe 11 or 12. Okay. So, yeah, I have a way to go yet. <laughs> and it, um, it, it is somebody that age, if they were a good reader, oh, God, could, could, could definitely manage yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely, and they should. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. Okay, yeah. all right. It's been made into a film, I think, something like six times or something. Yeah, some uh, good and some bad. I'm very critical of the movies. <laughs> really? Uh, the most well, recent one was the one where with Riona Ryder, I think. That's right, uh, yeah. I thought not that long ago. Yeah, that wouldn't be my favourite. No? No, uh, one of the older ones I think I, prefer, I preferred. But yeah, I think when you love a book so much, no movie's ever going to live up to it. Yeah, you know? yeah well, that, no, that is true. Let's go to your, your next choice. It's actually, it's a choice we've had before, which probably won't surprise no. you, because it is one of the probably the best-known Irish novels of the 20th century, Pat McCabe's The Butcher Boy. Yeah, I mean, The Butcher Boy. Actually, The Dead School was the first Pat McCabe book I read, so I would say either The Butcher Boy or The Dead School. I think Pat McCabe is a genius. I think he's an absolute genius. I mean, when I read The Dead School and The Butcher Boy, what he does with words, what he does with the English language is just phenomenal. I don't think anybody can even hold a hat to him. I really do. I just, I think he's almost, I think he should be more lauded than he, even more lauded than he is. You know, to make... Basically, a child who's having a nervous breakdown and, you know, becomes incredibly violent and lives in the most awful circumstances at home to somehow manage to make that funny. It's just unbelievable. And his humour is so dark and so bleak, but yet it's just phenomenal. I really think he is an unbelievable writer. I think he is unique. I don't think anybody has ever kind of come close to doing what he does. He's brilliant at what he does. And... um, Yes, yeah, so I'm just a huge fan of everything he's written. Is it an, an enjoyable read? I read it and look, I recognise its brilliance and I mean, mm. you, you articulate it far better than I do, but I'm not sure I particularly enjoyed reading it. Well, in a way, I think that's kind of the beauty of it. You know, you don't sort of sit down in a cosy chair and read Pat McCabe, you're sitting bolt upright and it's almost like someone's kind of slapping you in the face as you're reading it. But I quite like that about it. It's very, it's very jarring. It's very shocking, actually, because the way he writes is quite accessible and yet what you're reading is really shocking. But... I think that's the amazing thing about him, you know, that he can actually do that with words. He can twist words and sentences and and make you sit up and pay attention and shock you. Okay, you might want to read a Pat McKay book every single week, but by God, when you do, you don't forget it. All right, let's move on to your third choice. I have to admit, I have to put my hands up. It's a book I wasn't aware of until I I saw your choice. Castles Burning, uh, A Child's Life in War by Magda Dennis. Magda Dennis, yeah. yeah. It seems like an incredibly powerful book and it seems to be one that took quite a grip on you as a a young woman, was it, when you read it? Yeah, again, this is kind of a crossover book. I mean, you could, you know, a teenager could read it. Magda Dennis is basically, it's an autobiography. She is the kind of the feisty, ballsy, biting, scratching Anne Frank. She calls herself one of the lost children, the hidden children. So it's an unbelievable story. So her father was a very successful publisher. He was Jewish and he basically leaves his wife and his two children and escapes to America. It's, I mean, that in itself is incredibly, yeah. it's, it's such an unbelievably selfish act. I mean, I think he... Incredible. He sells whatever he has, buys mm-hmm. a first-class ticket mm-hmm. and nine brand-new suits or whatever and then sails off to That's New right. York. Yeah, so that he's all right. I mean, there's days we all feel like doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't actually yeah. do it. But you just think, you know, he, le- he left them in 1939 and she was five. So he leaves them. They live in Budapest. So for the whole of the war, she basically has to live in hiding and they live on scraps. They're eaten alive by lice. 
And at one point, her mother, her aunt and her brother say, look, we just, we can't take it anymore. We're going to commit suicide. It's just too awful. This life is too awful. And she, at the age of seven, persuades them not to. You know, this is the kind of incredible human being that she is. And sorry, is this based on a true story? This, this is her story, story, basically, her story, as told yeah. to her seven-year-old or nine-year-old her. self. Yeah. The good news is she survives the war and she ends up making it to America and she becomes a psychoanalyst and lives a lives a very full life. The sad thing is that when she writes the book and it finally gets published, she's 62 and she dies just before it's published, which is kind of heartbreaking. But what I love about her is when she finally makes it to America, she's actually 12. So she hasn't seen her father since she was five. They finally make it to America and she meets her father again for since he left them and abandoned them. And he tells her that he finds her quite unpleasant. She's turned into quite an unpleasant child, is his opinion. And she says, I know, starving for prolonged periods of time while simultaneously being fed on by packs of lice tends to corrode one's pleasanter side. It does. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of kid she is. And it's just, it's an amazing book. And I just think she's such a brilliant character. You know, you just cannot believe that this, from the age of five to nine, this child is such a survivor. She basically keeps her family alive. It's just the most gorgeous book. And I came upon it by accident. I actually think my mum recommended it to me. And I just recommend it to everybody. It's just wonderful, yeah. I mean, you've written a lot about about parenthood and obviously in a, in a modern context. I mean, do you read this book and think, you know what, we give out about things, you know, I mean, famously when the Troika came in. And, you know, I'm not underestimating mm. what some people went through. But, I mean, we don't have a clue about what that level of hardship is actually like. No, we don't. But, you know, we need to look down the road to Syria. I mean, you know, it's just, I think, um, unfortunately, people, are, a lot of people, are, a lot of children are still living these awful lives in these terrible situations. But no, we don't. We're, we are very closeted here. But, you know, in a way, that's why I think this is a wonderful book for teenagers, because it's one that will open their eyes. And also the fact... There fa- are more important things than the internet yeah. connection, not, not yeah, being fast exactly. or whatever. Yeah. And also, you know, the fact that, she, in a way... The travesty of Anne Frank is that she doesn't survive. The amazing thing about Magdalene is she does survive and she goes on to live, as you said, a very full life. And so, in a way, you know, I keep saying the word survivor, but that is what she is. And mm. I think it's quite inspiring for kids to read this. Okay, let's move on to your uh, your fourth choice. I suppose you've gone for a, a classic writer's choice, mm. if I can put it like that. Um, yeah. Stephen King on writing uh, a memoir of the craft. Yeah, I mean... I'm not necessarily a fan of Stephen King's books, but this book on writing is absolutely amazing. And I I certainly admire him for what he does. But he was an English teacher before he became a writer. And this book on writing is really, it's kind of the Bible for every writer, to be totally honest with you. I read it when I was trying to motivate myself to write fiction and it certainly, certainly did the job. He really goes into a lot of detail about writing and gives you very practical advice. You know, I suppose that's the English teacher in him. He's got one great, great story about James Joyce, where Joyce is asked by a friend, how many words did you write today? And he says, seven. He goes, well, that's good for you, says the friend. And he goes, yes, but I don't know what order they go in. <laughs> and I just think that's a great little story. And uh, again, it's very practical. So he says, you know, if you want to be a writer, you have to do two things. Read a lot and write a lot, which is so true. And, um, you know, he makes the point that every book you read has a lesson of its own. And sometimes the bad books teach you more than the good ones. And again, I would, I would concur with that. Absolutely. Other sort of, you know, little little kind of gems are people always say, what are you going to write about? And he always says, kind of write about anything you want, but just tell the truth. Be honest in your writing mm. and don't try and be anything you're not. It's one of the mistakes I made, actually, with one of my first books. I just tried to use a voice that wasn't my own and it just, you know, it didn't ring And true. when you ultimately had your successful book, it was yeah. it was your voice, basically. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I always say when I give talks, you know, trust trust your own voice because it's unique by the very nature that you are, mm. you know, a different human being to somebody else. So is important. There some, is there something counterintuitive about learning how to write or being, you know, being getting tips on mm. how to write? Because, you know, somebody like myself who 
you know, I, I couldn't write a novel to save my life. I always think it's something that's in you and it's, it's a creative process. It is a creative process. I mean, absolutely. And, you know, you can do 49 courses and never actually write the book. And you can, I suppose you can, you can yes, you can sort of overanalyze it. You know, it does have to flow. But, you know, again, like I have writer, writer friends who sit down and just write. I would plot out my book very much. But it doesn't, it doesn't stop the creative process because it's still when you're writing it, your characters behave and do things completely unexpected. So you have to figure out what works for you. And that's one of the things that Stephen King advises in this book. He says, you know, you have to figure out what works for you. But the bottom line is you also have to stop talking about it and do it. Okay. And that's, right. that is the bottom line. Okay, our guest is uh, Sinead Moriarty. Yes, she's going through her top five books. Uh, we're talking about Stephen King's On Writing, A Memoir of the Craft. Do you get much of King himself in this book? It's, I mean, it's not yeah. just a guidebook for writing, is it? No, you get a real sense of him. And really the bottom line is there's a reason he's so prolific. He works incredibly hard. He writes seven days a week and his, his goal every day is 2,000 words. And that is quite ambitious. But he achieves it. I mean, I wouldn't say I would necessarily achieve that every day, but it's, I mean, it's a great goal. And he's, it's, he's just very practical. You know, there's, he doesn't sort of faff around giving you chapters and chapters on 